This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Dustin Gaethje scores his second straight first round knockout. McGregor and Khabib cross all sorts of lines on social media. Dana White names his two dream matchups and it won't surprise you to hear who's involved in both of them. A UFC fighter receives a lifetime ban from USADA. Eddie Alvarez loses in his one debut. UFC 239 adds Naganu versus Dos Santos, and we are joined this week by Eric Anders, who faces Khalil Ramfrey Jr. at UFC 236 next weekend in Atlanta. Thanks to those listening on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa or to the podcast. Tell your friends, review the show, subscribe, and we appreciate any sort of listener feedback. If there's anything you want to tell us about or want to tweet at us, at Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter and at Bazooka Joe V on Twitter is where we can be reached. So, Joe, I saw this Khabib tweet. I guess it came out about an hour before we started recording. And uh, I woke up this morning to see the tweet that McGregor had deleted yeah, uh, regarding yeah. Khabib. We're starting to get into all kinds of uncomfortable territory here Absolutely. in this sport. And um, it's getting to a point where, you know, I love covering the sport, but it's making me very uncomfortable to see these kind of people cross the line to this degree. Um, more, I'd say more so McGregor than Khabib. I yep. think Khabib is probably firing back at McGregor for what is really um, a very, um, you know, at... at at its lowest, a joke that crosses the line, and at its most, something that's anti-Islam in nature. Um, whether or not he's believes that to be true, or whether or not Connor is knowingly doing something that's anti-Islam or, or yeah. um, defamatory towards an entire religion is anyone's guess. But at the same time, if you are insulting the cultural norms of someone's religion, that's, you know, you're crossing the line. Yeah, absolutely. It's getting, it is definitely getting carried away. I mean, if you could attack someone personally, I get it, but... If if someone's not that type of person, like Khabib's not that person to want to trash talk like that. So I mean, Connor's good at getting reactions from people, and I think he got it. So I mean, he's but doing, he's retired. Yeah, hypothetically, he's retired, Joe. It, it, there's no air quotations. You usually put air quotations. Yeah, it should be air quotations. Be I mean, people quotations. are just watching us and not uh, not yeah. or aren't watching us. They're listening to this, but yeah. If he's retired, why does he care what Khabib has to say? And why is he talking about a rematch with Khabib? Yeah. No, but it's it's too much. It is definitely way too much. And, you know, people always say there's two things you don't want to argue about with other people. You keep it separate, politics and religion. So, I mean, uh, once you come up publicly like that, especially the reach that Conor McGregor has, that's dangerous, man. Like, I mean, and Khabib is got a lot of passionate fans and followers, and it's not a good look. I mean, we're talking over a billion people that are part of the Muslim faith yeah, worldwide. It, I mean, you know, it's not a small community of people that we're talking about here. And uh, for Connor to do that, whether or not he is educated on uh, how hurtful that might be to people and, and the, the customs of other religions, it's still not a good look. And I think he, he realized that and he deleted it as a result. But regardless, enough people are going to screenshot what a McGregor tweets. Absolutely. Whether it's up for seconds one minute, later, 10 minutes, yeah. 20 seconds. It's up. It's, once it's up... You know, it spreads like wildfire. So wh- whether he deletes that or not, depending on who guided him to delete that and said, listen, you're kind of crossing a line here, it still went out. Mm-hmm. And um, Khabib has now responded with uh, some allegations against McGregor. And, you know, now we're we're getting into a territory where this is getting ugly again. I mean, if you remember mm-hmm. the first press conference, that's when Connor really was trying to get under uh, Khabib's skin and was saying all kinds of things that were also, you know, crossing the line. Dana White called it one of the darkest press conferences that he had been a part of. So this, you know, I just don't understand why we need to get into this kind of language, this kind of uh, behavior in, a, again, like the ESPN is part of Disney. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where all these events air. 
it's just, is, it's I think Connor something needs to be says done here. anything, but Connor says anything and it's making headlines. We sit here, we talk about it. So at the end of the day, if it's for him to gain publicity through it, it's worked. But this is negative publicity. It's negative, but I mean, it still works for him. I mean, he threw a dolly through a bus and it worked for him for some reason. You know, he's he's done, you know, crazy things. It works for him some w- weird way. We follow it still and we talk about it and... And in some ways, it's just going to make him more money in the end, which just sounds crazy and it sounds stupid. But it sounds like two children fighting back and forth. And, and I don't know why we're all, you know, so absorbed and it just keeps getting nastier and nastier. Yeah. And, you know, I think we've gotten to a point now where people are a little bit overly critical of the media for covering Connor. You know, they say Connor farts and we cover it. But Connor is like the, the number one figure in this sport. Like, people need to remember that. The reason why Connor gets this sort of coverage and why people keep covering him, even though he's retired and all of this stuff, he's far and away the biggest name that the UFC's ever had. Yep. And we have to cover stories regarding the sport. And that, you know, whether we like it or not, these two guys exchanging these sort of barbs on Twitter that have crossed the line is part of, you know, the coverage of the sport. Yeah. No, and, and it makes me uncomfortable because I don't like covering this kind of thing. I think yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that no, these I guys have you. both crossed the line, and I think that McGregor really crossed the line with his particular tweet, uh, and Khabib kind of is acknowledging that by crossing a line of his own. <laughs> I think Connor just makes his own rules in life. I mean, he just does what he wants, does what he feels. I mean, it's going to catch up to him eventually if he keeps going up this path. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, I, it's I, mean, I guess so, say. because... We saw that you know Conor obviously lost in the cage to Khabib, but this is starting to get beyond the boundaries of sport. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure if it was someone else, like a non-big name like Khabib, they'd probably be happy because of the attention they would get from something like that. I mean, but Khabib's already got his big following. Um, so, I mean, it's still nasty, but hey, if Conor wants to make fun of Italians, I'm here. If he's going to get <laughs> me all this attention, I'm good. I'm ready to go. Yeah, but... I, uh, Keeping in mind that you're a lifelong martial artist for the yeah. most part. Um, I don't know. I know you started it's, at a very young age. Yeah. When you see that your sport is getting this, these kind of headlines, it can't rub you. Like, it's got to rub you the wrong way. Yeah. I've always found, though, and I mean, um, those um, I mean, who've done both sports, I've been a part of both um, kickboxing and MMA at the highest level. There seems to be a lot more respect. Um, and community within the kickboxing and Muay Thai world. Where I think MMA still has that, it's still a newer sport, so it doesn't have that history and culture behind it. But if you watch, I mean, there's, you know, exceptions to it. Look like a George St. Pierre that we saw the karate hottie, you know, do great things. But there's more community. Watch watch a Muay Thai fight. They bow. They respect to each other. There's the culture. They, they It's more respectful even outside in the change room. So I think with MMA being so new that it's just crazy to see this new type of community out there. It's not what I've been part of. It's not what George St. Pierre was a part of at those times, those in the, the Anderson Silvas. So it's, it's kind of a new thing. But the sad thing is that these kind of things do get the publicity. I mean, that being said, I tweeted out that uh, on Helwani's show this week that, uh, you know, Michelle Watterson, who you just mentioned, was on yeah. and said that she gave, that uh, she gave a bunch of cookies to Carolina from her daughter because Carolina tried to order yeah. them. This is after the fight. Yeah. Uh, she gave Carolina her jersey after the fight. Carolina gave a scarf to her daughter. And it got tons of likes, like probably about 1,500 likes on Twitter. Um, and it goes to show that people do like that side of the sport. Like that side of the sport is still valuable to people. Yet we cover the other side of the sport more because it's more sensationalized. It's more headline-driven. And uh, these are the things that, you know, as people that cover uh, this sport in the media, 
we need to be cognizant of. That, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to change it, but for what it's worth, there is value to the the better part of martial arts, yeah. the the sportsman part of uh, martial arts, and the respect yeah. part of martial arts that needs to be you know have a light sh- sh- um, you know shown on it as well. So when you look at the the ma- matchups in general, the bouts, the cards, there's more respect than there is disrespect. And I think that that's something that we need to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah. But it's the ones with the disrespect is getting the more eyes and the attention. So that's where you're seeing a lot of guys like the Colby Covingtons really come out and try to be offensive. You know, even someone nice and respectful and fun like Ben Askren, you know, is going to London and getting in people's and trying to get in front of press conferences because it seems to be that's the way to pick the fights you want to grow in the sport. But at the end of the day, Aaron, it's a fight, you know. And and when we're two years old and five years old at school, if it, the hype, the buildup, the trash talking, hey, I'm going to meet you after school. He called your mom this. He called your mom that. That created the fight. We like that attention. We like the hype. We we love WWE wrestling because of the controversy between the two guys hating each other. A fight isn't a really respectful thing to most people, and the people, casual fans, like that, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that there's no doubt about that whatsoever. I think that the people that follow this sport are drawn in by a lot of these stories and storylines. Um, but at the same time, you look at a Gaethje and Barboza. I think people were very excited about that regardless of these guys, you know, what they mm-hmm. had to say beforehand because we know that there's going to be excitement and it's going to be good. Um, and I think another issue, and I mentioned this with, I think, Cowboy. I can't remember if it was either off the air or on the air, um, and even with Al, that... There's only one Connor. Like Connor's been the only person that's actually successfully been able to take this sort of trash talk as as his main selling point and uh, and actually parlay it into a lot of success outside of the cage and a lot of you know marketing opportunities and things of that nature. And a lot of people are trying to copy that model, and it doesn't work. It only works because Connor has this sort of it factor that yeah, can't really be defined. Exactly. And I think that. We need to keep that in mind as well with the sport is that, yeah. you know, the trash talk isn't always going to be what sells these things, that there's more to, to this than, uh, than that kind of thing. Yeah, I think if you don't have the skill, I mean, I'm always going to bring up GSP because, you know, Canadian and being such a big role model in the sport, but he did it with his technique. He did it with class. He did it with respect. He did it as a martial artist. But, I mean, if you don't have that skill, how do you get the bigger fights? I mean, there's a lot of people who are being pushed down. It sucks, and I don't appreciate it. But I was also the lucky one that had the skill, which I got to big fights because, you know, I went in, instead of saying, you know, bad things about you, I would say, listen, I'm better than you. Even though I don't have the amount of fights, I'm technically better than you. I hit harder than you. I can, you know, last more rounds than you. I'll beat you in every aspect of your game. That is the kind of trash talk they use. And everyone would be like, no way, you only got 10 fights. This guy has 100. So that was my way of kind of trash talking with skill but and Darren Till kind of has the same mantra like he's yeah, he's his confidence uh, is trash his talker, trash talking that's all it is you know? it's confidence in himself not yeah, which it doesn't I put the other person like. down yes yeah. and that is the type of talk that I like I mean you're just so confident in yourself and people like oh you know oh I don't want to call anybody out after it. I think that's the biggest mistake if you're and John Annix you're in the octagon you just win and that might goes to you you have to have an answer on who you want to fight next yeah, and that's not it's necessarily not trash bad. talking yeah it's no. not bad it's just it's progressing your own career Absolutely. and giving it direction. You have to go out there and say, this is who I want to fight because this, 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 and this. And, I mean, we had an example of this last show because Paul Felder was talking on the commentary 
where he had Gaethje had the there. most overblown moment in of the week. Yeah, it people was like, ridiculous. People like, it's not a big deal. Yeah, it's not a big deal. I don't know how they're saying it's a big deal. I think it's great. I think Paul Felder did it respectfully. Yeah, they're being playful with one another. Yeah. Absolutely. So I don't know why people even brought that up as an issue. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that it's actually contrary to what everybody says, where they talk about Tony Ferguson calling out Kevin Lee after a win or Bisping ripping Colby. That, that, you know, there's no room for that kind of thing. But these guys were being polite about it and playful about it, and they know that they might their paths might cross at some point. And I thought that it was a very respectful exchange. And I think that, that those guys should be applauded for that, and it shouldn't be made up to be some sort of thing that it's not. Yeah. It is just it, That's part of the sporting nature of it. And I think that this is the thing about um, covering MMA and, and people who are into MMA is that for forever we've had this inferiority complex. Mm-hmm. When it comes to this sport versus other sports, that we need to grow this sport. It's on us to grow this sport. It's, it's not anymore. Yeah. Let's put that behind us. And I've talked about this several times in the past about how the UFC is not a sport. It's a promotion. Yep. But we're starting to get to a point now where the pay-per-views are on ESPN+. Plus. The cards are, you know, I guess, promoted on ESPN, on, on SportsCenter. This is a big sport now. This is a mainstream sport now. Yeah. It's enough already with trying to make the sport bigger and talking about pay-per-view buys. And t- let's... Embrace this sport for what it is. Yeah, we we have been, you know, the people that have covered the sport and the people that have loved this sport for over a decade. We've been part of what's built this to where it is now. The sport is not going to shrink. It's seven years with ESPN is this partnership. Yeah. ESPN is the pinnacle of sports coverage in North America. It's the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. So let's stop trying to talk about how we can make the sport bigger and make the sport better. It's already. Where it needs to be, and it's only going to grow from here. The UFC is not sitting sitting back and resting on their laurels. They're building this gigantic production facility. Dana White says they're going to do all kinds of new content. They're going to do new Ultimate Fighter seasons. They're going to do all. They, they want to have fights going round the clock. This is this sport is established now. You mentioned that it's in its infancy. That's early. That we we've seen Muay when Thai you look and to martial, other arts. martial arts. Absolutely, yeah. it's and and sports. Mm-hmm. This sport is a baby, and for it to get from the embryonic stage to where it is now. To the top of the mountain, to ESPN, where it's talked about on SportsCenter, where the highlights are played on mainstream television, where it used to be too barbaric for states to even sanction. This was like 10 years ago. Yep. Now look at where it is. Let's stop having an inferiority complex about the sport. It's enough already. I the, think- sport is, the sport is established, and we need to start looking at this as a week-to-week Scheduled event like an NFL, like the NFL is, like whatever. Even WWE. Yeah, sure. Monday Night Raw. We need yeah. to look at this and... Look at us as an audience and talk about how much we enjoy this. You know, we don't need to talk to build the sport up anymore. It's been built up. Let's just sit back and enjoy it for what it is and, and analyze it in a way where we don't need to make it all about the drama. I think that there's a place for that. But I'm, I'm not trying to take away from that. I think that it's important that we focus on those stories as well. But let's also focus on the in-cage product instead of trying to build this up every week after week after week into this, this soap opera that it's not. So now you're an athlete in this model. How do you promote yourself and go big? Because there's a lot of um, talk amongst the fighters saying, with this new ESPN model, the UFC really isn't investing in building its athletes as much as it, it is. So a lot of fighters are now taking it on themselves to promote themselves, which I kind of agree with because I don't really see the UFC really pumping out to kind of grow their athletes anymore. Because the product is getting so big, they don't need that athlete to build it. So now if you're just this athlete in this pool, how do you stand out? So this is where I think the trash talk comes in because they can't really promote themselves. The UFC's not doing that job, so fighters have to take that responsibility on themselves. Yeah, and I think that building your own personal brand is a matter of taste. It's, if you want to be a trash talker, you can. Yeah. You know, Eric Anders is going to be on a show later on, and I asked him about Elias. 
And uh, he casually mentioned, oh, Elias and I were sitting in the sauna together talking about, you know, Elias's background and all of this. And I go, okay, well, you guys were in the sauna. Like, there was a lot of trash talk going on before this fight. You know, what happened? He goes, well, Elias was talking smack on Twitter. Um, and he's like, I don't really appreciate that. And that's not really what I do. And, but when we were hanging out, he was very nice to me. He asked if I had a safe flight. All the stuff you're going to hear later on the show. Yeah. But I think that it's important to encapsulate that. That a lot of the people do, and Elias especially, because he's got an advertising background, he knows self-promotion, and I think it is important on the, on the fighters to self-promote. And I think that's, that there is a place for trash talk in this. But I think that when we're starting to see it cross a certain line and it starts to get really ugly, that we, we've got we've to rein it back yeah. just a, a little bit here, especially in, in the case of Conor and Khabib like we've seen in the last 24 hours. I think it's getting to a point where, and it's not, and it's not about, you know, as people call it, virtue signaling or talking about what's right and what's wrong and, and all of this. And, the, you know, the UFC needs, a lot of people are saying the UFC and ESPN need to take action. They need to shut this down. It's like, let's, how about as professionals, we act like professionals. Yeah. That's all it is. And I think that Khabib's response to Connor, a visceral response that he gave, is appropriate given the circumstances. Yeah. But I also think that it's starting to get to a point where it's becoming uncomfortable to cover these, these sort of things. And a certain line doesn't need to be crossed yeah. in order to promote what, what might inevitably be a rematch if Conor comes out of retirement, if certain things fall into place, yeah. um, and if one of Dana White's two dream matches come to light, which we'll talk about after. Yeah. My, my one point here that I'll end it on is I just think we got to understand the, the, the type of people we're dealing with, right? Where if, if everybody, if all these athletes in the sports were good at school, were good in the business setting, were good as professionals, they would be in that business setting. So a lot of the people come from poverty, come from gang life, come from no education. So that's a lot of the pool we're talking about. So, I mean, you're even now seeing like Masvidal, you know, punching Edwards in the back. You have all this other fights happening. The issue is fighters are too sensitive. Uh, I mean, Ben Askren talked about this saying fighters just need to relax a little bit. The trash talking doesn't necessarily mean it's real. Like if I go on Twitter and say, hey, I want to fight you, you know, I'm going to beat you next. If I see you, it doesn't mean I want to fight you on the street. It just means I want to build a fight. I want to make some money. I want to get more eyes watching this. Fighters need to be less sensitive with everything that's said about them. If someone says, you know, oh, I'm better than Joe Valtellini, good, think yeah, that prove way. It. Prove it to me. <laughs> fight me. You know, you don't have to, like, you know, go there and me be sensitive. What? You're, you think you're better than me? Let's fight on the street now. If you ever talk to me like that again on the street, I'm going to slap you out. Why? It's, it's the sport. The way you win or lose, the way you progress is by tr- beating yourself, challenging. But fighters are sensitive. And I've learned that a lot being a commentator. If I say one little thing that goes against what, you know, that fighter thinks, they're, they're messaging me on Instagram. What, do you not like me? Do you, do you hate me? Like, I literally get that almost every show. Fighters ask me if I hate them. I'm like, no, I don't. I, I love you. I want to see you do great. I'm here to promote you. I'm here to promote the sport. But they're just so caught up on well, those the criticism is also, like, if you take the criticism at face it's value, brutal. instead of just looking at it and say, okay, well, why is he saying this? Yeah. Like, just take a step back and, and analyze. Sensitive yeah. fighters, sensitive athletes. And I think that's a big issue. And like I said, we're not dealing with lawyers and doctors and, and people in professional settings. We're dealing with a lot of people who, you know, are good at the sport because they were getting into street fights, who, because they had anger management issues, because they can't work in that setting. You put a fighter in a business setting, none of them could handle it there. They would. They couldn't respond. They couldn't sit there at a desk. Yeah, they couldn't talk and interact they're, they're, with people. They've got to be doing stuff all the time. Absolutely. So, I mean, you got to think it's going to happen in the sport based on the, uh, you know, the clientele. But, man, it's um, still growing. 
people are still enjoying it, and we're talking about it. So um, the direction it's going is positive, minus these stupid little tweets. Yeah, although... As I mentioned with Dana White, he did an interview with a local Las Vegas affiliate, and the guy said, can you name your two dream matches? Did you hear what his answer was? No, new to me. Okay, so I'm going to get your reaction to this. The first one was Khabib versus Conor, too, right? Okay, fair. The second one was Floyd Mayweather versus Conor in an MMA match. That was really? Yeah, that was one of his two dream matches. Wow. Just to kind of show Conor McGregor. Uh, but you know what? That, that, that to me is boxing. like it's another step backwards because like I was just saying, like this sport, if, if, if those are your two dream matches and one of them isn't like Khabib versus Tony. Or and not a UFC just, fighter. Yeah. Well, I mean, what are we going to learn from Conor McGregor beating up Floyd Mayweather in mixed martial arts? We just will learn absolutely nothing. nothing. We will learn it's it, more it, like a bragging right. The the odds on that one will be way bigger than McGregor versus Connor in boxing were. They have to be. Yeah, I would think so. Even if Connor says I'm so. even if Connor says I'm not going to kick or take like if it just was boxing with the four ounce gloves in in the octagon. Yeah. Like you still have to give believe that Connor's going to win that. But at the same time, like that's not what it would be. If it's yeah. mixed martial arts, you're not going to have like strict rules rule sets. Like what, what? We're not going to learn anything from that. Yeah. We we didn't learn anything from Connor boxing Floyd, other than maybe Connor did better than we thought he would in some cases. Although the odds didn't indicate that it would be that lopsided to begin with, but you know what I mean. Like we're not we're not going to learn anything. Yeah. The sport's not going to grow. I, I'm, I'm surprised from, from by that second answer. Yeah, I'm uh, definitely so surprised I. by it. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that at all. Uh, I would have thought him kind of pitching something like a John Jones Lesnar. Yeah. I thought would have been his second. Yeah, and those are good answers. Big money fights, good money yeah. for the UFC. That would I would have thought was the second. And someone asked me actually. I did a Reddit AMA. I was going to ask you that day. next. Yeah. Um, I mentioned you a couple times. You got mentioned by a lot of the people asking questions. Nice. Um, but someone asked me what like if I could make three fights, what would I make? Bazooka versus Conor McGregor. No, that wasn't one. Ah, of them, come on. But it was uh, like, Connor like wasn't that. in any of the three of them. Actually, it was uh, okay. Ferguson versus Khabib, which I think we need to see. Yep. I said Khabib versus Gaethje. So the two of them had Khabib. Yeah, because that's other... a, that's a big topic now. I was going to ask you about that when we're talking about the uh, Gaethje. Do you think he'll be ready for Khabib? And if, if you think it's a big matchup, but oh, we'll yeah, get let's, there. let's discuss that in a second. And and then the third one was, and I think I think this was what I said was uh was Jones versus Naganu. Or Jones, it was either Jones versus Nagano or Jones or Jones versus Cormier three at heavyweight. I think Jones versus Cormier three at heavyweight. One of those two. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So those are those are the. I like the freak show. Jones Lesnar. Not gonna lie. Jones Lesnar. Well, just because it's a freak show, I like it. Yeah. Well, it would be interesting. I think that that's when, why when I like it. Stylistically, it. you're gonna see a gigantic man against John Jones. That's I why that's I want to see it, just to yeah. see that gigantic. I've seen. I don't really care for Jones in DC because I like DC what he's done. So I don't want to see him lose and then go off. Because I, I'm happy for him, you know, 40 years old, doing yeah, what he's doing. Yeah, if he doing. retired today, people would still yeah, consider him, I, I regardless would love of the it. So I, I kind of don't want to see him lose. I want to see him go off happy, healthy, but you know, doing something would great. would you like to see him win against John Jones? And that's the But I don't think it. it'll happen. That's probably even at, even why. Even at heavyweight? At heavyweight, he'd have a bit of a leg up. No, I still don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I still and think I think that's Jones why wins. Jones has been saying, come to me, come down to 205 again. Because I think he knows that Cormier would have to really want to do that and cut the weight and go through all that again. Yeah, he, to which get he won't. There, which I don't he think won't. he will. Yeah. Or he's or he's got the leverage for big money to go up to heavyweight. Yeah. So I, it's a very smart. I'm sure he'll go business to heavyweight play by Jones. I think Jones fights a few more and then tests himself. Well, there's not really much left for Jones at light heavyweight, unfortunately. I mean, he's a like the the logical next guy is Thiago Santos, and he's like an eight or nine to one favorite against him. Yeah. So uh, then what? Like, I think Dominic Reyes is interesting, but unfortunately for Dominic, his last performance, even though he beat a guy in Volcan, his toughest opponent to date, 
didn't exactly turn any heads. I'd be interested to see how Luke Rockhold's going to do. Sure, but I mean, if Rockhold's not going to be able to get past Yoel Romero, and you know, yeah. is he going to be able to beat John Jones? The thing that Rockhold always had to his advantage at 185 was size. Yeah. Like, he was always a lot bigger than these guys. And, and, and yeah, being well, really well-rounded, good striking, yeah. good wrestling, yeah, interesting. But that's why I said the—I've been saying that the interesting thing about UFC 239 is that there are two better opponents for Jones in terms of marketability on that same card. You've got Rockhold, who you just mentioned, and yep. you've got Francis, who's, yep. who's facing, like, Francis is facing JDS. Yeah, Fra- you know what? Now that you bring up Francis and Jones, I like that a yeah, lot. Wouldn't, like, that's another, that, well, so, both big man, Francis, that power. But think about this. Like, yeah, somebody says nice Jones one. versus Santos to you. It's like, okay. Yeah. Somebody says Jones versus Nagano to you, International Fight Week. That yeah. screams right. big yeah. to me. There's a big feel to that. That would be my second, a, then. Those are my top interesting two. feel. Like that, who knows what would happen in that fight? Yeah. And that's the kind of fight. And somebody also asked me, like, on this, uh, the AMA, do you like the super fight era? Do you like, uh, what do you think of these super fights and the multiple, ch- like, people trying to get two belts? I said, who, why do people care so much about that? Like, why do people get so upset about these super fights? Like, they're, like, they're forcing these super fights. Like, don't you want to see Cejudo and TJ Dillashaw fight at 125 just to see what will happen? Yeah, I do. Like, you're taking the best two guys of two different divisions and putting, or females, like Cyborg and Nunes, for example, mm-hmm. and putting them against each other. Like, I want to see what's going to happen. I like it. Are, I, I liked Pettis and Wonder Boy. I thought that was yeah, great. I thought sure. that was fun. And I don't know if you call that a super fight or like a, a like a showcase fight because now you've gotten Pettis moving up. And I was arguing for this for a while. Like, there was a time where um, it was UFC 222, I think Ortega, and it was it was something with Edgar, something that was going on with Edgar, and his opponent dropped off. I think it was Holloway, actually. It was Edgar Holloway. It was UFC 222. Edgar Holloway drops off, and Cody Garbrandt, out of nowhere, says, I'd like to fight Frankie Edgar. Why not? Yeah, no, At 145 I, at the time, yeah, Cody yeah, had just yeah. lost the championship. It was before the that. rematch with TJ. Like why? Why don't you make these fights? They're fun. You don't need to headline every fight with a championship, and that's what they're always saying. Oh, you need I, to I just with a think belt. now because there's so much value placed on the ranking that if you lose this super fight, that it kind of messes up where you are in your ranking, which it kind of done that. And it probably did that, to did that to yeah, and it probably did that to Wonder Boy as well. Is Wonder Boy now going to be thrown up there with the, with the top of the division after losing to a 155 or Impetus? Yeah, probably and not. I, I it probably about this with narrowed Dan. his stock. And I talked about this with Dan Tom, and I think I talked about it with you last week. I think that that Wonder Boy probably poses the worst style, stylistic matchup for Usman in the division. Yeah. him or maybe but Ben Askren. Kind of his stock is down now because yeah, of that sure. loss, right? Yeah, he's, he's so nowhere near that's exactly shot. why. I, I mean, that's the issue with it. Because of the value placed on ranking, and this ranking system is baloney, as we know. Yes, yes. So I mean, Bologna's we don't need to talk about it. Yes. I know. So then we have to kind of follow the baloney, and which which is stupid. Yeah, but and, I'm and with you. I want to see more super fights. I want to see more mixing and matching between weights. I mean, that's that's the fun part of this sport. And if you look back in the history of the sport, you have to go back to Japan days. And I mean, they were all super yeah. fights. Yeah. They were all crazy fights. Catch they were all monster and, whatever, and catch weights. weights. You had heavyweights fighting lightweights. You know, I mean, it was it was just nuts. But that's what made the sport. Even UFC won. You know, it's craziness. Yeah, that's the that's the origin that's of the, the sport. Yeah. So now, whether I'm or not that can get it. sanctioned, who knows? But yeah. that's a different story. But at this, but that's what I think we need to see. Is I like seeing people jumping from weight class to weight class. I think it's interesting, yeah. especially if you're not in the top ten. Yeah, I think that's where you can jump a little bit more. Or even top five. Yeah. I think if you're in the top but five, stick to it, try. But I will, we want to see this. the top five guys mix. And I will say this, and people hate these interim belts, but if somebody jumps up, like let's say TJ or, or moves down, like TJ jumping down to 125, they need to make an interim belt right away for bantamweight. Like yeah. they, they can't stall these divisions, and I think that that's the logical thing to do is you just you make an interim belt until that, that champion decides. Because like let's say Max wins at 155. 
Like, why don't you do Aldo versus Volkanovski as like an interim? Because in the event that Max wins at 155, like who knows? He he's already basically said he's not going to be the featherweight champion anymore. Yeah. So you can have that kind of thing as a placeholder where the winner of whatever Volkanovski versus Aldo becomes the undisputed champion if Holloway's leaving the division. I know there's a lot of people saying instead of maybe using the word interim world title, having like a different name for a title. Because if they need all these titles, if their model's going on, we have to have a, a title fight at each, you know, big show. I mean, what about like, I don't know, it's hard because of the international, but I know like. How about the intercontinental title? Yeah, so that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> like, that's like the North American title or the, you know, like. Yeah, but then you're starting to get into boxing territory with yeah. just too many belts. But I mean, if they're doing all these interim titles and. The you thing know, is, a champion only wants like, to fight twice a year. The thing about the interim t- titles are there aren't that many of them. It just seems to be happening a lot. But think of it last year. Last year, there were two interim schedule, interim title belts uh, about scheduled, one of which Romero didn't make weight and won, so that disappeared into the ether. And then Colby Covington won the other one, and then that got stripped. Yeah. So, I mean, these interim belts aren't taking over like a lot of people make it out to be. Yeah. But it, just now the issue was, does it mean anything? I think that's where it came, right? Because yeah, but because th- of I that think, one situation. And I think that's another thing where people are putting a little bit too much stock into things like does it mean anything? What does it mean anyways? Like what yeah. does don't we just want to see good matchups and and embrace the yeah. sport for what it is? Like I I think that like you said the rankings, one of the big issues with the rankings is that guys that are ranked highly don't want to fight lower ranked guys that are better than them. That yeah. might be better have the perception that they could be better than them or could lose to. People are people hold on to their ra- their ranking because they, they have earned it, right? Yeah. So I mean I get it. But because there's a number beside their name, they're hanging on clinging on to it for dear life. Because they know that if they're if they're gonna face somebody who's ranked below them, they're they're moving backwards yeah. in the rankings. The problem Win is, or lose. the problem with MMA and fighting in general is you only basically fight I mean, MMA is different. Let's talk about UFC at the highest level. Three, four times a year if you're not a champion. A champion's only fighting twice a year, once to twice a year. So the risk of a loss to go back in ranking is really tough on you. Mm -hmm. So, like, I mean, if you're a number one contender and you lose to a number four or five, you might not get another shot at the title for a year or two after that because it takes so long. You need to, you know, that four months to recover. You need to go back into training camp. So, I mean, it's a big risk. If you play in the NFL, if you play in soccer, you play next week. So it's a little different. You have, you know, in baseball, the 100-whatever games to kind of get back up and do your thing. But in MMA, the risk is so big. One, you get knocked out on national television. Two, the recovery time. And only fighting two, three times a year, it's really hard to take fights that are not as uh, big, high profile for you. Kickboxing is different. Kickboxers will fight 10, 20 times a year. Some of them in Europe will easily do 10 to 15 times a year. So they'll take more fights. They fight that. But in MMA at the highest level, it's really risky to do that. Yeah, and I think that's a systemic problem with these rankings and why they should get rid of them. But whatever. Just only keep a top three or something. Yeah, but then the person that's ranked number three is not going to want to fight anybody ranked yeah, below. Yeah, but them. at least you have you know four to ten that'll mix up a little bit easier. And then if two, if there's two versus three, then or yeah, j- I guess that's kind of the way you have to do it. You do two versus three all the time, or one versus three. Yeah, those then, people are going to face each other, and then but they'll then drop. But if, if you don't Someone know if you're four or eight, like for example, Justin Gaethje was ranked number eight. Yeah, and we're talking about him with Khabib, but on the ranking, it doesn't make sense. But if there was no ranking from four to thing, Khabib could have been anywhere. Khabib could have been. Uh, sorry, um. Gaethje. Gaethje could have been number four, and we didn't know that. So, okay, Gaethje versus Khabib, and we're all excited. But we're like, oh, number eight? No, I don't want to fight number eight. I don't know. 
Just a suggestion. Yeah, but then it's who's, not who's making the rankings too? Right, that's the yeah. other issue. Is we got we've got media. Me members. and you, me and you will make them, <laughs> just and we me won't tell. And you. And they won't tell anybody who's doing them. No. They should just do that. They should say we've we've hired like we've hired like an outside consulting firm to to do our rankings. Yeah. Joe and Aaron. Yeah, exactly. Done. We'll, we'll do it free, free of charge. And eh, maybe no, we'll take a charge. We'll take a, a little bit. They yeah, make too much money. ESPN gave them enough. We'll get some. I agree with that. All right. So what else do we have from this week? We have. Uh, Ruslan Magomedov gets a lifetime ban from USADA. So uh, three strikes you're out. Three strikes you're out rule. So the first violation was like I think two or so years ago. He was scheduled to face somebody recently that got pulled, which we've now learned was due to a second violation. And then he got a third violation for refusing to turn over a sample. So that counts as a violation. So they've issued a Fair. lifetime ban. Now my question is, if you've, you know, I think he's like in his early 30s. If you've worked so hard to get to the sport, and I know that you're trying to preserve clean sport. Should the UFC hang on to this guy's contract and like just let this guy? It's you know you messed up. We don't want you fighting anywhere else because you're our whatever. You're under contract to us. Like what 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 can they do in these situations? Because a lot of these outside organizations, outside promotions, will still take him. Will still they'll still take him, but at the same time, some of them won't. Some of them will honor that ban. So a lifetime ban to me seems. Very like it seems pretty harsh. Yeah. Because even if it was a four year ban, if he's thirty one, thirty two, if age thirty six, whatever, you can still come back and do it. But how is this guy going to earn a living now? Does he just retire? Well, if they terminate his contract and they allow him to fight elsewhere, could be a good move for him, because otherwise he would have taken the suspension. But I'm sure he'll still have some sort of suspension from other commissions. Like, could he sign with like a one FC or a, you know, or a Bellator with this ban? Could he? I don't know. No, I don't think so, because if he's under contract with the UFC... Because if he can then he's in trouble, but I mean... I don't think so, unless the UFC release him. Like, the UFC would have to release him, and then if they release I mean, him... are they, are they that... They know that they're helping another promotion by giving them a good heavyweight. Good point. Right? Yeah. So, if you're... Good point. I never thought again, about... Again, I was going to say, there's so many big names in the sport. Is the UFC really that low to want to do something like that? But, yeah. Maybe. maybe I mean, they yeah. don't want to help their... And and then like let's say they do do that, then what's to stop people from just like whatever taking to do the hey I'll take three hits and then I'll go yeah, out exactly yeah. and then you can release me and I'll make more yeah. money elsewhere. Well, I hope he has some other jobs. Yeah, I reached out to his management, but they didn't. Uh, they refused to comment on it. So it is what it is. Just they're trying to figure out what to do next for him. But I don't know. I think the more we look into it, I mean, I just think. But hearing fighters who have been talking about it, there there still seems that there's ways around it. I mean, I remember when listening to a lot of different podcasts and radio shows on the TJ Dillashaw, for example, and they were saying there's so many people, I don't know how they go around the testing, but it seems like there's still people doing it and on it and on different types of being able to cheat USADA somehow. I don't know. Well, there's always uh, shortcuts that people are able to figure out, but sometimes USADA can get ahead of them. Like USADA is constantly changing all of their testing um, resources and, and the way that they do these tests and the different things that they test for that's you know you're rolling the dice if you try to cheat usada yeah well it seems to be getting better where it's get becoming a cleaner sport so i'm happy well what i'm wondering is like if somebody takes something that you know is going to be in your system for six hours or only for six hours 12 hours whatever and you took that immediately after usada left your place like yeah, maybe an good. hour later as long as you know probably, the half-life of whatever you're taking yeah you're, you're good. probably good but that's why i'm telling you i think i think a lot of those before usada came a majority of the sport 
could have been taking something. Just say whatever. People were taking it. But if you're used to performing on steroids, you probably are used to that strong, the recovery. And then when you're off it, psychologically, and it's yeah, got to play edge. a huge The mental edge is, yeah. is, I think, the but biggest thing. But being off it, I bet, I mean, that, that's got to mess with you psychologically. So, I mean, they're probably like, I need to find something. They need that. That, yeah, that feeling, that something. recovery, that mental edge to do it. And without that, that's why we're seeing a lot of those guys just crash. Mm-hmm. So For sure. And uh, and then you also see people lose, like Eddie Alvarez, losing in his one debut. They yeah, don't do crazy. any sort of testing, I don't think, over there, or at least not the kind of rigorous testing that USADA uh, purports to do. So Eddie Alvarez goes in, loses his debut in the lightweight tournament to uh, Timofey Nasjushkin. Yeah, and yeah. uh I could have told you that I thought he had a shot. Like, Nastushkin's good. Which, uh, which organization good. did he fight with pr- previously? He was with one championship. He was one? Okay. Yeah, he's been with one championship. He's a young guy, hits hard. And, uh, you know, Eddie's also getting older. But yeah. uh, he got paid apparently like a million dollars to be <laughs> to be in that Not fight. Bad. Not bad for, a one, for one round. But, uh, you know, you never like to go out like that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's crazy. I think... There was a lot of talk, though, of when you, you when you leave the UFC, your career is never the same. And, I mean, we saw that with Benson Henderson, I think. Him going to Bellator, he hasn't been the same. So, I don't know if it's Why like Why do you a, think that is, though? Do you think it's just because you're like, oh, I'm going to be facing lesser competition and maybe. just mentally you're not preparing? Because I, I'm guessing that Eddie Alvarez is training harder to face Justin Gaethje or Dustin Poirier than he is to fight Timofey yeah. Nastyushkin in I'm over, trying to find a reason why Alvarez, but... Being the seasoned vet that he was, I didn't think it, if yeah. it would if it wouldn't affect anyone. I would say it'd be Eddie Alvarez based on his years of experience. Yeah, but you but. do see it a lot. I, I I do I do think that there's a lot of uh, of accuracy to what you're saying in the fact that people move outside of the UFC, they go to other organizations, even people that have been cut from the UFC, they they go elsewhere and they're like, ah, just, I'm going to be facing yeah. someone who's lower level. I I don't need to work as hard. You rest on your laurels and you get beaten by a like a young up and coming guy who's 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 fired up to be facing Eddie Alvarez or fired up to be facing uh, yeah. Eric Silva or whatever whoever's left the UFC. Yeah, I don't know what it is behind it, but yeah, it happens. There's something with it. Well, I think again, I think it's just the mentality of fighting at a lower level promotion is yeah. that you don't you don't put as much work in perhaps or just mentally you, you think you can coast. I don't know. And you Who know, knows? as you know, in combat sports, coasting is bad. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely not good, but. Alvarez, I don't know. I mean, like I said, anyone could do it. It's Eddie Alvarez. Maybe it was just he got hit. It just happens, yeah. you know? Yeah, you can throw, the, the, throw the playbook out the window once you get hit in the eye in the way he did. Yep. Mike Tyson said it best. Everyone has a plan until you get hit in the face. So uh, looking back at uh, Gaethje, let's let's go back to this past weekend's card in Philadelphia, Gaethje versus Barboza. You had predicted Barboza. I had predicted Gaethje, and it looks like the way that I thought it was going to play out is the way it played out. He pressured him. Uh, Barboza couldn't take the heat, so he got out of the kitchen. That's it. Barboza, I thought I was going to see a little bit better distance control. I, I, I didn't think he was going to sit there and, and stay in, in the pocket and try to go one for one, but uh, Gaethje fought the right fight. Yeah, two and a half minutes into the first round. Just, yeah. You know what? I love seeing Gaethje get a quick finish in two straight fights because it's going to prolong his longevity in the UFC. Yeah, we get to see Because I think more. that if he's, in more, if he's in a war absolutely every time he, he's in there, like he he's not he's gonna flame out. It's just that's just the way it's gonna be. Now, when you watch this fight, did you see a different Justin Gaethje than you saw in the past? He was a little bit more patient. Yeah. I'll say that because I think he knows that. But did you find it this noticeably? No, no, no. I don't know why same... everyone's talking about it being this different Justin Gaethje. No, no, it was the same Justin Gaethje. He was just a little bit more patient, but he did he did what he always does. He closes. Yeah. He gets people to to fight the way that he wants to fight, and sometimes he falters, and sometimes he. 
succeeds, and he succeeded with flying colors in this particular matchup. Yeah, it's actually really cool to see because I actually really enjoyed the knockout because I teach almost exactly the way he set up that knockout perfectly from the way his stance was from the way he loaded it up to the way he hit it on the exit that's something i teach regularly so uh, it was good that i got to use that example of to my students i sent it to all my students being like this is what you know i've been showing you here's a live example of the drill that we do so i mean it looked good so what is it you're just basically making someone pay when they're trying to get out of yeah your, your you, you capitalize zone. on the exit mm -hmm. i mean that's where low kicks are the best when you come close usually the, the pressure fighter crashes the distance and then the other opponent exits. And on that exit is that you that transition where you really have to capitalize. It's the best for low kicks in MMA. And a lot of fighters are really tight defensively in mid-range. As soon as they separate into that long range and they exit, they drop their hands and relax. So that's why a lot of good head kicks come off of that exit and good leaping hooks. So as soon as Barboza thought he was safe, Gaethje turned the corner, boom, hit him with that hook. So, I mean, perfect timing on that exit with the hooks. Well executed. And Pettis versus Thompson is another good example of that. Yeah. And every time Exiting. on yeah. the exit, he's hitting he's hitting leg kicks on Thompson, and then he catches him off guard because he's been going low the whole time, going to the body. It's, suddenly, he can set up that flying. So that people Superman always punch. ask me, you know, your shin's got to see how many people block your low kicks. None. Why? Because I'm going to keep the distance. As soon as you jab, you step down. As soon as you step down, boom, I hit your leg. Yeah, you can't, you can't do two things yeah. at once. You can't, if I crash the distance, the if yeah. I hold my head really tight and I come close to you, as soon as you move backwards, boom, I hit your leg again. You can't block that. If I crash, if you're against the cage and I'm still standing right in front of you, if you exit out slightly, guess what? I hit that leg. So you hit it on movement and transitions, and that's when your low kicks are the best. So that's when people ask me, oh, your low kicks wouldn't work in MMA? Really? Try me. Try yeah. me, because I'm going to hit them when you can't shoot, and I'm going to hit them on transitions. So good luck. Have fun. Yeah, and if you look at Gaethje and Barboza, the light kicks have been so instrumental to their success yeah. in this sport. Pressure, good low kicks. I mean, it looked good. I just thought Barboza fell into the trap almost, you know? It, it, you got to stay long. You got to use your jab. You got to fight on angles. You got to circle a little bit. You have to feint. You have to try to slip low kicks, come in with counters. You have to. You can't just sit there and go one for one with Gaethje. You're falling into him. You have the length. Use it. And this is why I thought Gaethje was going to win. Because if you think of the type of computer that Barboza has in his brain, he needs time to process. Yeah, It's like an old computer. You, you want to fire up that game that, that requires this much RAM. And once it gets going, it, it works. Yep. But Barboza takes a little bit too much time to access that RAM. And if you overwhelm that CPU, let's say, you know how on the old computers, you open like 30 things at once, they would just crash? Just crash. That's, yeah. that's what Gaethje does. Yeah, yeah, Gaethje yeah. is that guy that can that goes to your computer and opens a bunch of stuff yeah. while you're trying to work. And you're, you're like, pushing ah. Control-Alt-Delete to yeah. try to yeah, close. Yeah, trying to close all yeah. the windows. That's yeah. what Gaethje is. Gaethje's yeah. got you pressing Control-Alt-Delete, and you just that's don't have it. time to close end all the tasks. <laughs> and that's what happened with Barboza. Um, and that's what I thought was going to happen, honestly. Yeah. I just thought that we've seen Edson in these situations before, where if you give him time to react, you are in big trouble. Yeah. But I, if you don't give him the time to react, you're, you're going to shut him down. Yeah, I'm saying it out loud here. Crash his computer. I'm going to say it really out loud. There's two. If any MMA fighter is fighting Wonderboy Thompson or Justin Gaethje, please contact me because those are the two easiest styles I can help people with All in right. MMA. You got to make that video. You know what? Your video, the how to beat Wonderboy Thompson. Like I said, you need to do a series of those. I know. How to beat Barboza. To me, how to beat Gaethje. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to me, it's very simple. Like, how do you defend? Like, I mean, if, if you come to me and fight, and you're fighting Justin Gaethje, my low kicks are better, they're more effective, they're better with timing. So I'm going to, one, condition your legs, condition your distance, condition all of those different things that's going to help you, and I can teach you how to do it more effectively than him. So, I mean, 
those are the two that people need to really start thinking about because easy for me. I'm telling you, Joe, make those videos. I know. I'm going to start doing <laughs> it. I just feel bad, you know. I don't want to go up there and start talking about how I can beat all these people. Well, you can always say how you can beat a fighter like Justin like Gaethje. Like Justin Gaethje. Who yeah, fights like. like. Yeah, a fighter yeah. who fights like Khabib. A fighter, yeah. you know. Because then these guys, I mean, sensitive fighters, Aaron. We talked <laughs> yeah, about this. Then all of a sudden I'm getting email <laughs> messages from Gage. Yeah, if you, I'll fight you on the street. And uh, I was like, okay, really? Now we're going to get all sensitive. But yeah, fighters but, are but sensitive. But the smart thing for Gage to do if he sees that video is contact you and say, well, if if I'm if yeah, you're able to beat fight. that style, let's say no, no, not let's fight, but like let's say someone comes at me with the style that you're proposing. How mm-hmm. do I beat that? Yeah, yeah, because you could probably have a good answer for that as well. Well, I mean, for Gaethje, it's different because we very similar style, good pressure fighters. Um, I'm just a little bit better with my striking than him, and he's better than his, with his wrestling. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, comparison there. But I mean, I can do it more effectively than him. So, yeah. Let's and as it. we've I seen, Gaethje do doesn't use a lot of his wrestling. But it's basically like, how to beat Bazooka Joe then? You know, yeah. How to beat Bazooka Joe and Justin Gaethje. But I hope, I'm, I, like you said, he continues to win like this. He continues to stay safe because that's a guy we'd like to see. He's we Mr. Mr. Saturday seeing. Night. Yeah, as Mr. I call, highlight, I, right? I, I realize he calls himself the highlight now, which is, is not as cool as Mr. Saturday Night. Yeah. I'm sorry, Justin. You tried. You tried. Uh, yeah, you I tried. tried. I like Mr. Saturday Night a lot because that's what he is. Like You, you are pumped up on Saturday Night. If, if let's say there's 12 fights on the card and 11 of them are decisions and it's 1.30 a.m., like you're staying up Yeah, yeah. for Justin Gaethje. Um, the rest of the card, I thought, uh, there, speaking of lots of decisions, there were lots of decisions, but there were also a lot of uh, solid solid fights overall. I thought that the Josh Emmett finish in the third was, uh, that was a nasty. pretty nasty strike, and he was going to lose that nasty. fight. Nasty, yeah. Did you see the highlight with Cormier is looking at his phone? They showed them at the desk, and Cormier was looking at his phone at the time it happened, and then those guys were like, whoa, and Cormier's like... <laughs> I saw the wow, but I didn't see him on his phone. He was on his phone, and then he's looking around like yeah, a deer yeah, in headlights. Yeah. Like, what just happened? Yeah, yeah. I don't blame him for being on his phone. That wasn't the most exciting fight. Yeah, you always tend knockout. to look. I mean, that's why I'm always scared, because I used to always, like, Todd's good on his phone. Morrow's really good on his phone. Like, they'll sit there, and they're, they're commenting. Blah, blah, blah. Then they go on, and they'll do something on Twitter. And you I'm just, just like, exposed Todd? Huh? <laughs> nah, he's good. That, that's what I'm saying. They're so professional on what they do that they can do these things where... Someone like me, DC, or, or Dominic Cruz, I don't think we can be looking at our phones and commenting. We're not there yet, gentlemen. Soon, hopefully. Uh, Jack Romanson in the co-main event catches Branch out of nowhere with a really slick guillotine choke. That was, yeah. uh, that was solid. And he's known for that submission, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of being known for submissions, triangle choke towards the end of the third round, Paul Craig does it again. Yeah, that was last second again. He's yeah. on a roll with those last-minute submissions. Yeah, Kennedy and Zuchuku, like, I was watching that fight, and I'm like, what is this guy doing? Like, what... What are you doing? He was on the going to the ground with Paul Craig. It's like y- you have the clearest path to victory on the feet, an obvious path to victory, and you keep going to the ground with the guy. I, I don't know. It's confusing to me. What did you think of your your one pick, Sadiq Yusuf? I had two picks, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. But, I, uh, I lost both. So by the way, I didn't do great at all. If that was a five round fight, Mazo would have won because she really picked it up in the third. But uh, Sadiq Yusuf looked good. That was a, that was solid, and it was a very close uh, matchup until the very end of the third round, where Yusuf dropped uh, Shaman and then got the win. But uh, very very close, yeah. very nice. Good low kicks in the first yeah. round from Yusuf. You called out those low kicks; they were really good, mm-hmm. but just couldn't continue with them. Yeah, well, Marais has those big tough. those big thighs too. Yeah, like he's tough. Kicking those is probably not a lot of fun. Um, that was yeah, it was just a good card overall. I, I liked it. I, I like I loved what we saw from Kevin Aguilar. I think he's got a, a really bright future. As well, uh, Kevin Holland. I don't know how he ended up winning that fight because he was doing absolutely everything he could to lose it. I mean, I didn't get to really look and score, but a lot of people were complaining about the Ray Borg decision. Oh, it was terrible. It was a. It was just a, was it an that out bad? and out robbery? Yeah, out and out robbery. Borg should have won that fight. Um, 
I don't know if it's because Kenny finished the rounds looking strong, um, similar to what Holland did. Like Holland was finishing the rounds well against Mearshart, but if you like looked at it on a minute by minute basis, Mearshart was doing most of the work. Um, so I don't know how how the judges came up with that score. And then one of the scores for Mearshart versus Holland was twenty nine twenty seven because the uh, the person that did the scorecards didn't know how to do simple math. Yeah, yeah. Like they yeah. just added up the math wrong. Interesting. Not a good look for the Pennsylvania <laughs> Athletic Commission. Get it together. We both lost. Um, so our tallies for 2019 so far, I'm at 76.50. You're at 123.50, Joe. Still up, up. Still up. 45 bucks on me. So uh, I think what we should do for uh, this this next card for 236 is let's make a, a pick on this show. And we'll make another pick on our show that we're going to put out next week. That's uh, a preview of 236. Um, do you want some time Does to take a look? Does it go five on five or is it 10 and 10? Are we putting 10 and 10? 10 and 10. Oh, we're going past. big. Yeah. When we have, what happens when you have no money left? When, when we have an do? off week, we do this sometimes. When I have no money left, well, then you have to pay you real win. money. You just win. I just win. All right. I'll take yeah, that. Or you can bankroll me with some of your money. Okay. No, you'll just win. If, if I get $0, all right. You're a winner. In fact, if I get below ten dollars, I'm gonna have to like max out or whatever I have. So, like That's I can it. only get to... five units if I have all right, only five. All right, I like that. So, would you have a, do you have a one for this? Uh, uh, this I'm gonna need card? a couple seconds. Okay. So wh- while you're looking, uh, can, am I okay to give my pick? Yes. Go. All right. I'm gonna go with for my first pick. I'm gonna go with uh, Jalen Turner minus one thirty-five uh, against Matt Frivola. Um, I just think Turner is like a level above Frivola, and I was surprised that the odds were this close. I thought Turner looked spectacular in his uh, previous fight. And um, when we saw him against Vicente Luque in his first fight, it, he was just out of his element. It was a short notice turnaround and against a, uh, just a much higher level fighter that was a lot bigger than him. But um, I think that against a guy like Frivola, Turner should be able to do whatever he wants to do in this one, and, uh, and we'll get it done. At minus 135, that will be my first pick. I'm done with these parlays for now. You're just doing it. What's, uh, what was the, the, uh, sorry, the line on that fight you picked? Minus 135 for Turner. Minus 135. See, right away, I like Adesanya. I think he's going to be a, a really, really tough fight for Gaslam. You could always just parlay him with Holloway if you like Holloway a lot. Hmm. But the price on Holloway is pretty high. I know. That's why I don't love facing, it. But that's that, why I don't that being love it. said, if you look at what Holloway did in his last one against Ortega. What's, uh, what's OSP? Oh, that's not there? No. I, I would guess it's like minus 130. Or sorry, it's probably like minus 115. Or it's like, yeah, probably in that area. No, almost like a pick em Yeah, style. it's like a pick em. And they fought before, and St. Prue choked them out with the, uh, that, the St. Prue choke, or the Von Prue the choke, Von, as I call yeah, it. Yeah. Because you want to give props to both those guys. Well, one, I like Adesanya. Okay. And, uh, are you going to make both picks now, or is that Adesanya? You're just, are you going to parlay Adesanya? Because we're going to do one pick on this one and okay. one pick on the next show. Let's keep just Adesanya. You want just him at minus just 170? I'm going to take that. All right, cool. Stick to my Yeah, you can chip away. You roots. can just take favorites yeah, now and chip away. Yeah, take my time now. Yeah, exactly. No, but I really like Adesanya. I mean, I thought it would have been a little bit closer. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. I don't think um, a minus 170, but I'll still take it. All right. So that's uh, your pick for uh, our first picks for this event. You're going to go Adesanya minus 170, and I'm going Jalen Turner minus 135. And we're going to do a preview for this event in our uh, next, uh, I guess, podcast, and then we'll go from there. All right. So what else do we have right now? Let's throw to our interview. He's on this card. Eric Anders taking on Khalil Roundtree Jr., uh, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. Climbing back to light heavyweight, it's your boy, Eric Anders. Last time around, uh, a loss to Tiago Santos, but also in, in Toronto, UFC 231. I spoke to Elias Theodoro after that fight, and he said that you were like 235 pounds or something, something crazy like that on fight night. Is, is that true? Can you confirm that? Uh, I was 223, I think, on fight night. That's unbelievable. So you put on a lot of weight. That's uh, almost 40 pounds. 
That's pretty wild. So with that in mind, you see all these guys from lightweight that are moving up to light heavyweight and having tons of success. Tiago Santos, uh, Anthony Smith, who's, who's now your training partner. Um, when you see that, does it give you a lot of hope that you can move up the ladder really quickly in the right scenario? Oh, uh, man, really, this is just the first fight that was offered to me. You know, I'm down to fight at middleweight, light heavyweight, and, uh, man, I might even think about taking a heavyweight fight here before too long. All right, well, that's that's kind of your calling card right now, is you're, you're available on short notice if they need you. Yeah, you know, I, I like to fly. I'm always training. You know, I'm always in the gym. I pretty much live there. So, you know, when they come calling, I answer. Yeah, you know, I watched the short uh, documentary on you that you have uh, pinned on your Twitter account um, where you talked about how uh, you don't believe in overachieving. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, you know, uh, when I when I was younger, you know, the guys who worked harder, especially in team sports, you know, uh, the cool kids or whatever would, you know, kind of make fun of those kids and call them overachievers and this, that, and the third because, uh, they were putting forth max effort, and I really just, you know, I just don't agree with the, with the term overachiever. I think you can maximize your potential, uh, and you know that's that's what you're supposed to do. You know, there's a lot of underachievers in this world, people who coulda, shoulda, woulda, but didn't because they were lazy, they were too cool, or you know whatever the race reason may be. So, I think the the guys who like, you can't call Matt Holloway an overachiever. You can't call Demetrius Johnson an overachiever. These are guys who, John Jones is an overachiever. These are guys who maximized their potential and did what they were supposed to do. So with that in mind, this is your first losing streak. You've lost the last two. You say that you're the hardest working guy in the gym. How does it affect you when you have these losses, knowing how much work you've put in? Man, you know, it's, it's part of the game, you know. Uh, there's a winner, there's a loser. It's a competition at the end of the day. So, you know, it is what it is. You know, I, I hate losing more than I like winning. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, I give myself a 24 hour rule, you know, regardless of the outcome, win, lose, or draw, after 24 hours, I'm, I'm over it, on to the next. And, uh, you know, try to get back in that win column. How many losses did you have at Alabama when you were on the football team in, in all your years there? Uh, now I couldn't tell you, but. The, the last year I was there, we went undefeated. Yeah, so I imagine it wasn't many because, I mean, Alabama's the best program in, in college football. So well, the, the first year I was there, I think we went 10-3. and three, Then we went 6-6 six and six, two years in a row. Then 12-2, uh, and two, then 14-0. and oh. Yeah, so I do know. So was that when you went 6-6, six and six, was Saban the coach there at the time? It was his first year, uh, first year there, yeah. Okay, I was, wasn't sure. We went 7-6, sure maybe. 7-6. All right. Yeah, we're just slightly above 500, which, you know, isn't very good. So that kind of thing must be uh, amazing to see, is that the team kind of overcome that hurdle. Um, and you're used to that kind of thing then. Yeah, you know, like I said, it is what it is. It's a competition, you know. Uh, go back to the drawing board, figure out what you did wrong. You know, there's good and bad in, in wins and losses. So, you know, learn from your mistakes, correct them, and, you know, try not to let them happen again. And part of that going back to the drawing board is that you've kind of migrated to Factory X for this particular camp. Um, how have you enjoyed working with Mark Montoya? His camp has uh, produced some incredible results over the last two years, uh, including Anthony Smith, who unfortunately just lost to John Jones. But um, you see people like Macy Barber, who's doing really well, uh, and a lot of other incredible talent coming through there. Yeah, you know, it's just a room full of go-getters. You know, everybody there is, you know, uh, 
trying to make it to the top and, uh, you know, get it done per se. So, you know, it, it's good to be in a room full of people who are, you know, like-minded individuals and, you know, have the same goal in mind, but at the same time, um, you know, they, they're your teammates. So they're not trying to kill you. They're just trying to make you better. So, you know, it's, uh, it's been a great experience. And I know, again, from watching the, the documentary that you have posted, that you're kind of you're a family-first guy. Uh, is your family there with you, or did you have to leave them in order to, to go to Denver to do this? No, nah, I'm here by myself. You know, the, the wife and kids are back home holding down the fort. And uh, how hard has that been for you? Uh, man, you know, uh, I miss my wife and kids, but, you know, I'm kind of looking at the big picture. You know, I want, I want to be retired and done, you know, by the time I'm 35, 36. So, you know, uh, it's just a small window in the grand scheme of things, you know. So I'll be 32 here in a few weeks. So, you know, three, four more years, you know, you know, I think, I think everybody will be all right. And when you were younger, you were born on an army base, if I'm not mistaken. Were you pretty nomadic back then? Did you live kind of a nomadic life with your family? Yeah, we, uh, I was born in the Philippines. My mom was uh, active duty Air Force. So we moved around about every three or four years. So, you know, I think I moved five times before I graduated high school. And did you like that experience, or is that something you kind of want to shield your kids from? You want to give them consistency? Nah, you know, I, I loved it. You know, I think it's really cool to move to a foreign country, uh, live, absorb their culture uh, and their way of doing things, you know. And that's, uh, I would love my kids to, you know, have that experience. You know, even if we don't move, you know, uh, definitely fill up a passport book. I've always thought it was cool that there's now Airbnb and you can just live someone else's life for like a couple of days in a different city and just uh, just experience what their lives are like. I think that's kind of a cool premise. Yeah, well, you know, my wife is Brazilian, so we travel to and from Brazil, you know, uh, two or three times a year. We try to go, we try to go to Europe once a year. So man, we just try to expose the kids to everything. Have you been back to the Philippines since, I guess, your early childhood years? No, I haven't been back. So you don't you don't consider yourself like a, a Filipino or anything <laughs> like that? Do you have a not like a citizenship there? No. So if you're born on an American base, they they just give you they give you a birth abroad birth certificate. But you know, uh, I'm still an American. Okay, I was always curious about that uh, from looking at that. So um, Tiago Santos, who you uh, you lost to back in uh, September, he's getting the next title shot at 205. Um, I mean, you went to, to hell and back with him in that fight. Um, what do you think he's going to bring to the table that John Jones hasn't seen before? Man, I, th- I think he's a wild card. You know, he hits hard. Um, he's explosive. Um, you know, John Jones, you know, no one's beat John Jones. Uh, and there's a reason for that. You know, he's a tough, uh, tough riddle to solve. And, uh, man, I, honestly, I think that, uh, Chiago's weaknesses is one of uh, John Jones' strengths, and that's the wrestling. And I think I was six of eight on takedowns for you know with Chiago. So, you know, John Jones is a much better wrestler than I am. Uh, so, you know, I don't see him having a whole lot of difficulty taking him to the ground. And he's so much longer. You know, I think that Chiago's going to have a hard time uh, closing the distance. He doesn't chase like uh, Yan Bolanowicz. Uh, I, I don't know how to say his last name. Yeah, Blahovich. Yes, you know, yeah, he kind of got, kind of got, he he got knocked out chasing uh, Chiago. Uh, who did he fight before that? Oh, uh, Jimmy Manawa. John Jones not just going to stand there and trade with uh, with Chiago Santos. 
But, man, he throws some crazy stuff, man. He throws those capoeira kicks, you know. Um, he'll move forward. So, you know, I think it's going to be a fun and interesting fight. But I think that Chiago's got a lot to overcome to, to win the fight. However, with four-ounce gloves, anything can happen. Yeah, I guess anybody against John Jones are going to have to overcome a lot to to beat that man. I mean, he's looked completely untouchable throughout his uh, his UFC tenure, um, save for that one fight with Gustafson that was very close. Um, so Elias Theodoro, who you fought back in uh, Toronto late last year, he's kind of a pest in there. You know, he he makes things difficult for people because he's doing so so many different things at once, getting in and out. Um, what what was the biggest hurdle to overcome with him, and as he looks ahead to his fight in Ottawa? Um. I don't know. You know, he's just uh, man. Like you say, he just throws a bunch of stuff. So, you know, he it's he kind of like uh, mashing buttons, like the you know when the controller <laughs> yeah. starts to die and and the character just starts doing a bunch of weird stuff. That's him. Um, you know, uh, the thing that surprised me the most is how well he could take a punch. You know, but you know they always talk about how what good a shape he's in this, that, and the third. But man, he was breathing kind of heavy. Uh, there in that third round, but you know the better shape you're in, the more you can recover from those from those kind of shots. And um, you know, uh, he finds a way to get it done. Yeah, the the crazy thing about him is that he didn't even start practicing martial arts or learning martial arts until he was like in his twenties. So he's come a, he's come a really long way um, since the, since then, considering he had basically no martial arts experience up until his university years, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, I think he wrestled. Uh, he was in the sauna. Was me cutting weight, talking about wrestling. So I think he wrestled a little bit when he was younger. Yes, that's interesting. So you, you and him were in the same sauna, cutting weight for that particular matchup. What's that experience like? I'm, I'm sure you know a lot of people have bad blood and talk trash and all, all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. But you know, Elias is known for being one of the cooler guys in the UFC in terms of just uh, being a friendly, a friendly individual. How did that go down? Oh man, you know. Um, you know, the thing with me is I'm the same person in real life that I am on social media. Um, I just don't feel like the same could be said for him. With that being said, though, he was super friendly. You know, he had a lot to say on Twitter, but when he saw me, you know, it was all, you know, how was your flight? Did you get in safely? He was offering me gum in the in the, in the the sauna. So, you know. You know, whatever, man. People always, you know, when they talk that shit on Twitter, they always talk about they're trying to sell a fight. I think if you want to sell a fight, go knock a motherfucker out, you know, uh, in, the, in the fight before or that fight. Man, people are going to want to watch you fight the next fight. So, well, that's man, a perfect segue to your next opponent, Khalil Roundtree, because that's what he's known for is, is the, the knockouts. Uh, knocking out Gokan Saki in under two minutes, uh, knocking out Paul Craig in the first round. Uh, Daniel Jolly in the first minute of their fight. Um, what, what's your expectation for this one? I mean, you know that you're not facing somebody who's going to try to grapple with you or anything like that. Um, is that something that you embrace? Yeah, absolutely, man. I think we're going to meet in the middle, touch gloves, and, and get right to work. You know, I think it'll be a fight similar to, you know, Thiago in a way. Uh, I do think that uh, Roundtree is a little bit more explosive and probably hits a little bit harder, has like snap on his punches, and that's why he knocks a lot of people out. Um, you know, I used to be like 300 pounds. So anytime a guy was once that big and is now, you know, 220, 225, 230, whatever he walks around at, you know, his body's used to carrying around that weight. So that's, it's probably got a lot to do with, uh, you know, how he's able to hit so hard. 
All right, Eric. Well, it's always uh, great spending time with you leading up to a fight. Um, I'll see you in Atlanta, and uh, I look forward to uh, to your matchup. Hey, appreciate it, brother. That was Eric Anders discussing his upcoming bout with Khalil Ramtree Jr. as he moves back up to light heavyweight. Pretty interesting. He says he's interested in fighting at heavyweight as well if it's a short-notice fight. He likes these short-notice fights. He's one of these guys where you pick up the phone and call Eric Anders if you need an opponent for anybody from uh, middleweight up to heavyweight, he says. Well, that's a, a rare mentality these days. Yeah. So, I mean, he's trying to separate himself. Got to admire that. He's a, a lot of fighters are really have to be really calculated, the best fight at the right time. You can scrap anywhere, anytime. That's, that's a big The advantage. cowboy mentality. That's it. So uh, today is the one-year anniversary of the confrontation in the hotel between uh, Khabib and Artem Lobov. But uh, Artem Lobov is back in the news this week with one of the most fabricated and uh, set-up feuds of all time. Oh, I wonder what's... Let's, let's have an open workout where we put these two guys in the same gym at the same time and see what happens yeah. to get publicity for our promotion. Yeah, absolutely. It was all set up for it, but I mean, it worked. Even if it wasn't set up specifically, where you say, "Okay, you guys are gonna have to go yeah, after but each other," I mean, other. both yeah, them you know, seeing their you know what you're good doing. lot of trash talk. You're building a combustible situation. Yep. Oh yeah, Malinaji. I mean, he's he's confident. So is Lobov. So I mean, it's gonna happen. I think it's gonna be oh, great. Of I don't know how much they're gonna. And they're pay. saying, "Oh, if Lobov beats Jason Knight, then no. If Lobov loses to Jason Knight, they're gonna make that. They've got to make that one happen. That's the yeah. one to make." Exactly. I wonder, because um, Malinaji said he was making good money from it. Where are they getting this money, Bare Knuckle Boxing? You know, I don't know. It's the same guy. This is David Feldman. His brother is a guy named Damon Feldman who used to run celebrity boxing. You remember all those celebrity boxing matches that they used to have where they get, like, Tan Mom to fight somebody? Like, they, they get really yeah. D-level was celebrities. Was it the one that had uh, Shaq boxing? Oh, no, that one? was Shaq versus. That was his show. Okay. But they tried had, to get George. Because he fought De La Hoya in one, didn't he? Yeah, it was Shaq versus was him versus De La Hoya. Yeah. But uh, basically, you know, Damon Feldman got into a lot of trouble because he uh, tried to book George Zimmerman <laughs> against DMX. Okay. And people obviously don't want George Zimmerman to get paid. Yeah. yeah uh, you yeah. know who that is? The guy who uh, shot Trayvon Martin? No. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, it's not not a good look, basically. Okay. So uh, you'll have to just take my word for it. Okay. But uh, Joe's not super up on pop culture uh, no. and news, like uh, all kinds of weird news uh, from, you know, And this is when I talk about kickboxing or UFC, yeah, exactly. and otherwise I'm out. Yeah, so uh, he has done all kinds of weird celebrity boxing matchups with, like, people from, like, Desperate House, or, like, whatever, whatever, Real Housewives of whatever. He's just, like, it's kind of a sleaze fest. Okay. And his brother David is now launching uh, Bare Knuckle. I don't know um, where... I think their dad was like a, a pretty legendary boxing trainer, so Marty, Marty Feldman. Yeah, I think I think family. they have some money, but, um, but you got to think someone like Malinacci is probably making yeah, probably cost close good money. to a mill. I don't know about that, but it's really I don't know. Artem went out and said that they're they're they've got big money to pay Connor to do a one off. It's like yeah, but Connor's kind of under contract. Yeah. I don't think the UFC's going to sign off on that. Yeah, let's let's put yeah. our let's use our brain here because Paulie said he's like I didn't want to fight. But he yeah. goes, I gave them a big number, and I said, if you can match that, then we'll start thinking. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to think with boxing. He's like, I wouldn't make this money in boxing itself. And boxing pays well. Yeah, so that's why I'm trying to think. It's got to be close to seven figures. Yeah, you might be right. Maybe I'm underestimating his value. And Artem was talking about how he, used to get, how he was getting big offers from somewhere else. Yeah. I, I'm interested to see what happens between him and Malinaji. That would be fun I to would watch. Like it. Ten bucks, whatever. Sure. Yeah, I'm in. It's a good I'm mentality sold. to have. Yeah. Those are the the kind of matchups that I, I honestly do like. I like seeing guys test themselves in different arenas. I would love bare knuckle boxing. I would love to fight bare knuckle boxing. But there's no kicks. 
Yeah, I'm still fine with it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you got to think like even in kickboxing and Muay Thai, there's something called lethway. I don't know if you ever heard of yeah, lethway. Yeah, of course. Where it's head butts, elbows, mm-hmm. and you basically have little bit of ropes on your hand. So it's not really far off. It's more brutal than bare knuckle boxing because you can't elbow. If I could elbow you, that would be more of a vicious sport than anything. Oh yeah. I mean, if, if you well, that's what they box say, with they elbows, bare knuckle boxing is actually not as dangerous as a lot of the other ones because you're not going to hit as hard. Don't break Muay your hand. Muay Thai is probably more vicious. Like you go to Muay Thai, in Muay Thai, even look at one FC. I think it's more dangerous to fight in an MMA glove than it is bare knuckle. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, that's, I'll what, that's what, what people it. have been saying because I, you have padding. Yeah, though I think to be honest, I would rather probably get hit with an MMA glove than sometimes with a ten ounce boxing glove. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always say, I probably said it on this show ten times about football versus rugby. A rugby player isn't going to run at you head first and try to smash you because he knows he's going to get hurt. He has no helmet on. Yeah, right. Where that football player has no remorse. He's just going to come yeah, right at pads. you. All pads, all power. So it's going to hurt more to get hit by a football player than it would be for a rugby player. Do you think they should just change the rules of American football and get rid of all pads and helmets? Yeah. No. <laughs> but I mean, that's taking you the fun of it, but it would actually it, it probably decrease would make it the safer. amount of concussions. Because yeah. you're not going to run in with no helmet and go head to head like yeah, that. Yeah, of course. No way. Not. You'd have to be a madman. Absolutely. Not to so say that I there mean, aren't going to be some madmen and then There in will that be sport, some. Yeah. There'll be a few Justin Gaethys out there <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. and playing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it's actually safe. It's fine. We've seen it so many times in Muay Thai and kickboxing. So for me, it's nothing crazy. I think it's actually less violent than. You know, the the left ways. And look at 1FC. It's Muay Thai with four-ounce gloves. That, to me, is crazy. That's more vicious. Now, I'd still love to do that because you can use the elbows, use the knees, use the clinch, kicks to the head. So I don't think it's as bad, but as people are making it, they're trying to make it seem like this brutal sport. But watch left way, watch Muay Thai, and then talk about brutal. Mm-hmm. I think just calling it bare knuckle boxing is like the mentality behind that is it sounds street like street fighting. And yeah, 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 exactly. But at the end of the day, you're probably right. Like MMA is probably far more dangerous. I guarantee and, you that I yeah. haven't watched any personally, so I can't really attest to it. But Robin Black, our colleague, calls it in the UK. Really? Yeah. But I mean, I would think it'd be a slower fight because the risk of getting hit from a punch is, you know, a big risk. So you don't want to go out there and just walk forward and pressure. So you're a little bit more hesitant. You got to play with distance a little bit more. You can't just sit there and and just go crazy. Would you just go body on somebody? Like if you're doing bare knuckle, wouldn't it just be a lot like a better strategy to just go body on people? Because there's the padding, like there's the padding of their body. The problem is if they dip their elbow and you punch that elbow, ooh, that's bad on the hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, going to the body, like even when you you front kick to the body, I stop front kicking people. I'm like, why don't you front kick? Because every time I front kick, the reaction is people... People tuck their elbow in, and I've oh, hit my toes and jammers. my foot so many times. <laughs> Even knees and sparring. If you throw knees and sparring, your knees are always going to be blown up. You hit because the reaction when someone gets hit to the body is, "Hey, I'm going to tighten my elbows in nice and close." Perfect to hit your foot in your elbow. So that's why people hurt themselves with knees and front kicks and sparring. So I kind of slowed them down. When you do your sparring at your gym, what limitations do you put on it? Um, I I say. One, there's like the unwritten rules. And like sparring always has an unwritten rule. You try not to front kick in the face. You try not to head kick crazy. So, I mean, body and legs, free, free range. Go there, hit, punch, kick as hard as you want. If you're with another guy, competitive. But we try to lay off to the head as much as possible. We'll still hit to the head pretty hard, but nothing like, and usually with control. And at what level at your gym do you, do you start doing sparring? So I'm very I'm different than a lot of schools. I have three systems. I have three levels. So there's a beginner where you focus on pads and technique. 
Intermediate is more sparring drills, where that's where you start learning how to use timing. So you don't just, because if you ask someone who's never sparred, hey, go spar now, yeah. they don't know anything. You got to learn the timing. If he punches, you kick. So we do a lot of punches versus kick drills. We learn counters. So that intermediate is a lot more counters and, and early principles of fight, like distance and fight principles, and then the advanced classes where you get the more sparring and competition. So it starts in that intermediate level. So it could take a couple months, depending how good you are. Could take a year. Some people will never want to get into that sparring because they just want to do fitness. So it all depends. Yeah. And what is your like? How long is somebody a beginner for, in your opinion? All depends the person. If you came in, for, like I have one fighter now. He fought for me after one year. He's never done any martial arts wow. before. But he was a uh, university volleyball player. I've never seen anyone kick and jump the way he does. He was so new to it. So I said, uh, I said, I went up to him after a week, and I like said, getting a fresh thing of clay. Yeah, I went up to him and I <laughs> said, um, "You can be a world champion." And he looked at me and said, like, "Really?" I was like, "Yeah, you have it." How old is this guy? Twenty-three. Okay, six foot two, six foot three. He'll fight middleweight. I'm telling you, he'll be a world champion. If he, I said, it all depends the on what you want. Yeah. If mm-hmm. if you want to be a world champion, you'll be. We'll, we'll get there. If you don't want to be, let's not do it. But I mean, you do. Just know that I'm telling you. You have the potential to be mm-hmm. a world champion. So we'll see. And they he have the comes, competitive spirit. I mean, if they play He's volleyball, amazing. I put him in his first national tournament with the, the the wacko kickboxing national tournament, and he won two fights in uh, one night. So I mean, he's good. He's getting better, and he's an athlete. And even after that fight, he watched it. He's like, "Man, I suck." I was like, "That's <laughs> what I want to hear." So let's get better <laughs> and let's keep going. So we're on the right path. All right, there you go. Yeah. So it let's, all depends. All yeah, depends. Keep us updated on that uh, on that front. I think that's interesting. Yeah. I yeah, like uh, I like I like those kind of stories. I mentioned that to Eric Anders about Elias, like that Elias started in, in from university. Nothing, yeah. yeah, like he's a top ten I guy love now. You know, I love top it. fifteen or whatever it is. Those are great stories. And he's to also hear. been amazing. I just actually saw him on the news when he was uh, promoting the cannabis again. So good job in Elias, staying really in the media, promoting the right stuff, and you know, big Elias fan. is a guy who gets it, man. He, he does. He, like I said, he's that advertising he marketing background, and he yeah. just knows how to market himself. And so yeah, it's knows good. What he's doing really good. All right, so let's wrap this one up. We're going to have another podcast uh, that comes out either on Friday or next Monday uh, that will preview UFC 236, and we'll have uh, a guest on the show as well. I know who the guest is going to be, but I'm drawing a blank, so we'll just, uh, we'll just leave it at that. All right, I'm Joe, thanks for this. We'll be back with the uh, UFC 236 podcast next. But before I wrap this up, Joe, Joseph Altolini on YouTube, latest video was the combo of the day. It was a good one. I watched it today. Yeah. But and, um, to learn the combo of the day, you got to watch the video before. It relates to the video before, which is, you know, how to counter the jab kickboxing style, mm-hmm. which is obvious if you jab, I'm going to kick. I watched that one as so well. So use that, and then that translates, helps you with the combo. So that's kind of the system I've been playing around with. Here's the episode, and then a few days later, I release a combo that has to do with the episode. And I will say, if you've never done kickboxing or anything like this before, go to the Bazooka Academy, and you can watch from, like, episode one. And yeah, I, you go basics. to one. Learn how to step. I still, to my classes, to my fighters, look, I don't understand. Watch episode this. Go back, watch it. I like it. It's good for me because I can reference my students back yeah, to watch, to watch 36. it. Like, I have uh, Malcolm <laughs> Gordon. I'll, I'll plug him in here. He's fighting the TKO April 11th. Yoni Shervatov. Correct yeah, Next it? week. How yeah, do I Yoni say Yoni Shervatov, yeah. Shervatov. I said it better this week. Yeah. Um, so I'm going there to corner him, but uh, yeah, he'll see like, oh, I feel like kneeing him in the face. Go watch episode this number, and I sent him the video. He's like, I feel like head kick him. Okay, go watch this. So I just keep sending him different videos. Do you have them memorized in your head? No, no, but he's new, to, he's new to my system, and we've only been training maybe a couple months now. So he's still learning and processing, so it's nice for me to send him little like, okay, we worked this today, but here's like a refresher on what we worked today. So we can go home, reference in, and learn. So it's a good teaching tool. Who's the best person you've ever worked with? Like the most talented, would you say? 
Most they don't need to, they don't need to have had the, like the best record or anything. But who's like the most ta- naturally talented athlete that you've worked with? That's probably my business partner, Troy Sheridan. Mm-hmm. Came from like a non really athletic background. He's good, good kid, decent in sports, but he just he got fighting. Good with mental, his knees. He's good, strong. Like he like I mean, when I went into kickboxing, I I had you know ten years of taekwondo behind me, second degree black belt. He came in with no experience, and then he ended up being, you know, a top contender in North America, went on to the world stage, fought for glory. So, I mean, he's been my main training partner for years and just been a, a good guy to see grow together. All right. Shout out to Troy. Next yeah, week, Troy UFC Sheridan. 236 uh, preview. Uh, thanks, Joe, and uh, look forward to doing that one. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.